Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Let's get to it. Welcome to the program. Hello, vaccine time. Let's get to it. That's the big news today. We had a technical briefing today from the province about the vaccine rollout. Let me tell you the details. Let me get to the details. The details are we're waiting for vaccines. That's kind of what it comes down to, you know, for all the planning and everything and all the announcements. Well, this is, we're going to do this, and then we're planning to do that, and, you know, the other thing, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, the factor, the, the key factor is, is if we don't get the vaccine, if we don't actually get the things actually shipped here to Ontario, there's not much we can do. And so we're waiting for more vaccine, and there's many questions about how quickly are we actually getting the vaccine into arms, and should we rethink the first dose, second dose thing? As you know, that uh, some of those first uh, uh, workers who got the the vaccine uh, out of the gate yesterday got their sex, second uh, vaccine yesterday. Here's some of the details that came out. From this technical briefing, keep in mind that uh, Doug Ford will have some comments just around 1 o'clock today. Not the usual DOFO show, just some comments as he heads into a meeting with the vaccine task force. I will point this out. I will point this out. That Doug Ford did not miss an opportunity to be in front of the microphone with the DOFO show, faux show every day. But now... We have a slow vaccine rollout. We got a vacationing finance minister. We got other MPPs maybe going places where they shouldn't. I'll get into that in just a moment. And what do we get? No DOFO show. No siree. Instead, we get these photo ops. And if we're lucky, we get a question or two thrown into the premier from the pool camera. We got a little bit of that yesterday where Doug Ford said, yes, there have been bumps in the road. The road, she bumpy. This road is bumpy. What can I say? It's terrible. It's a terrible road. It's bumpy. All right, let's get to the uh, vaccine tech briefing. Here are some of your key numbers. Uh, Pfizer doses administered as of today in the province of Ontario. We've got about 95,000 doses have been received. Uh, 50,000 doses are confirmed for uh, this week. And then every week after that for the rest of the month, we're expecting 80,000 more doses. Uh, in terms of Moderna, we got 53,000 doses as of the week of the of December 28th. The next delivery is January 11th, 56,000 more doses. I wonder if the province just, you know, kind of hangs by the door waiting for, you know, an Amazon package. You know, it's like knock, knock, knock. Oh, my Moderna's here. Uh, the deliveries are expected every three weeks for this is for Moderna. Uh, now, the key here with the Moderna is that because it does not have to go into the super cold freezers, you may recall a previous photo op with Doug Ford looking at freezers and pointing, oh, there's a freezer. Uh, those deep freeze at the hospital sites, because Moderna doesn't have to go there, it can then get into LTC homes in January, and that's the hope. We've had some vaccinations in in the LTC homes, but we really need more Moderna to be able to get that going, and that is what the province outlined in this tech briefing today. There are going to be three stages to the vaccine rollout. We are in stage one. Woo! Stage one, baby. Mm. It's not always my favorite of the stages. 
Uh, stage two is essentially exactly the same as stage one, which is we are going to focus on frontline health care workers, uh, residents of congregate care. We're going to try and get the vaccine into remote communities, into indigenous communities. Again, Moderna is going to go uh, to those areas, uh, fly, fly it into remote areas in the north, into an indigenous communities. So that's stage two. Stage one, stage two. Yeah, essentially the same thing, except for stage two is more vaccine than we have now. Then, then we get to my, my favorite stage. I like this stage. Stage three, everybody else. And, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and when does stage three happen? You know, that's an excellent question. It's an important question. And I'm glad you asked it. What's that thing over there? Look at that. Is that a traveling politician? Oh! We're going to distract you with that. Because of the fact of the matter is we just don't know. We don't know. We're getting more vaccine. We're getting this update on the numbers of vaccine, the number of doses we're getting. But what we don't know is just how effective is the province really being in getting it rolled out in an effective, timely manner. And we have no idea when we can get to stage three. None whatsoever. Speaking of those traveling politicians that we're also distracted by right now, hey, where'd you go over the holidays? Who'd you see? You see this new Leger study found that 48% of those people uh, surveyed Visited with people outside their households. 48% of you clowns broke the rules. And I'm not even talking about Rod Phillips. Of those who did visit with friends or family outside their homes, this again, according to Leger, 34% did it once. I just did it. It was the one time, honey. It didn't mean anything. 12% did it two or three times, and 2% got at it more often than that. So there you got your, uh, your numbers on how many people actually went outside their households, visited with other people, and what are we going to see in two weeks' time? We're going to have to have what, we're three, three, over 3,000 cases again today. And, and I'll tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be in the 5,000s. It's just going to go that way, and I'm not telling you anything like I'm somehow picking that number out of the sky. That's what the modeling is telling us. If we increase the number of people we saw over the holidays, then the case numbers are going to go way up. And if that survey is even close to being accurate, then that is what we are about to see. So keeping that in mind, the fact that, you know... I just did it the once. I just visited with family just the once. Even though we did that, do we still really have this right to be so outraged about all of these traveling politicians? I mean, is there anybody actually in cabinet in Alberta anymore? (laughs) Who's in government left there now? What, the chief of staff for uh, Jason Kenney has had to resign, a number of other cabinet ministers have resigned. Some have been demoted. This is a quite a turnaround for Kenny, who initially had said, what's the big deal? I mean, it's, you know, maybe not smart, but there was no rule. I mean, and now all of a sudden those politicians, the chief of staff is out of a job. Obviously, you know, about Rod Phillips, we've got a number of other federal MPs who have been demoted or had their parliamentary 
um, roles removed because of travel. And then let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. How about this Gila Marto, who is the MPP for Thornhill? Turns out she went to the cottage over the weekend. Or not, I'm sorry, over the, over the holiday break. Uh, I'll take this from the Peterborough Examiner. Marto, again, the MPP for Thornhill, a PC member for Thornhill, government member, member. Marto told the Examiner on Monday that she spent the Christmas week at her cottage on Pinehurst Avenue in Selwyn Township, while her 28-year-old son, along with seven of his friends, some of whom are his roommates, according to Marto, were there this past weekend to celebrate the New Year. When visiting her cottage, she goes to local stores, she said. Now, hold on. You go to local stores? You live in Thornhill, which uh, last I checked, is that's in lockdown, was in lockdown even before the province-wide lockdown. And then you go to an area which was not in lockdown, and you go to the local store? I think, I'm pretty sure I heard the Premier say specifically don't do that. Well, Guillemarto has a statement. Let's just get to that statement right here. Where is it? Oh, the internet is so slow. And that's not a problem so much for me as it is for parents who are pulling out their hair right now. More on that coming up a little later on in the program. Virtual learning not going well again on the province of Ontario. Here we go. Okay, Marto addresses travel to Selwyn, Ontario. The following, a statement from Gila Marto on a recent travel. Shortly before Christmas, my household and I visited my, our family property in Selwyn, blah, blah, blah. We returned before New Year's. My 28-year-old son, who is a part owner and regularly uses the property, then went up on New Year's Eve with his social bubble. I was not part of this group, nor did I organize the get-together. Though I cannot speak for my adult children, as medical professionals, my husband and I take adherence to health and safety protocols very seriously. Okay, so we don't address whether or not the 28-year-old had a raging kegger with seven of his besties. We don't address that. Okay, I, I got that. And now here we have just, you know, this is just... This seems to be all in order. This is kind of exactly what the Premier said. Just go up there. But wait a second. Where is this whole shop at local stores thing? So what I do is I get on the old Twitter machine, you see, and I fire a, a message off to Gila, and I say, hey, listen, I appreciate the statement you put out, uh, but this is what I write. Uh, thanks. You don't address the shopping at local stores. Did you shop locally in Selwyn? And Gila writes back to me. I brought up two full coolers. My husband picked up a few groceries once. I picked up takeout once. I made chicken and beef fajitas. Another night, the delicious pre-marinated kosher chicken wings from Megan Meats and Thornhill. I brought up three pounds of Thornhill sliced turkey. My husband made lots of pancakes and chocolate chips. Well, that's a lot of extra detail I didn't actually ask for. You know what that is? That is, that is what's known as the cheesecake defense, popularized by the premier of this province. When you get in trouble, just talk about food. Because, really, I, I don't even know what I asked anymore. I'm so hungry. I don't even know. What was my question? I, all I know is that I've got to get me some of them kosher chicken wings. They sound fantastic. So local officials 
in that area are like, um, you know, we'd prefer if you didn't come. And the whole shopping at local stores, that is kind of against the recommendations. Hmm. Now, this is what you need to look out for. I think Gila Marto, if, if the premier has ever asked a question about it, I don't know, I'm not certain he will be asked. He's not taking questions today. But if he is, you watch. He'll go off. Oh, he'll go off. He'll, he'll give a get your backside back to, you know, your own writing or what, whatever it is. I mean, you know, it's comes some sort of, what do we got? Do we got that, that there, Rob, that, that, that great line from Doug Ford about Rod Phillips is just so good. Get your backside back into Ontario. Yeah. Get your backside back to your riding. And if Doug Ford does that, that here's the reason. Is it Gila Marto? It's a quick background. I gotta take a quick break, but I, let me let me tell you this quick story because it's a spicy meatball. Gila Marto, uh, who again, MPP for Thornhill, wants to be the candidate federally in Peter Kent's riding. Peter Kent has uh, stepped down, is retiring. So she wants to do that. She is facing stiff opposition from Melissa Lanceman, who is a Ford confidant, a Ford strategist, someone close to the Fords and the Ford family. And the Fords are clearly, and the government clearly wants one candidate over the other and is essentially told Gila Marta, okay, well, now that you've gone and chased this nomination for the federal riding, you can't be the MPP for Thornhill. You can't run for us again. And Gila Marto has gone so far as to call out the government and say that its policies on stores and restrictions for stores, as is prior to the lockdown, were wrong. So she's already kind of offside from the government. Watch for that. Doug Ford may go bunch of yahoos on her. And if she does, my prediction is she brings out some of those delicious kosher chicken wings. Just looking through the technical update again from the province on the vaccination plan. And one of the details that does stand out is an attention, intention at least, to have all residents of LTCs vaccinated by the end of January. That is the latest information from the technical briefing from the province of Ontario about the vaccination plans in this province. But let's turn our eyes south of the border because what's going on in Georgia today is absolutely so important, uh, just as important in many ways, just slightly less important, I guess, than the actual presidential election because what happens in Georgia will really determine what kind of administration Joe Biden can have and operate, what kind of leeway he will have because if it goes... To the Democrats' way, they will have control of both houses and the presidency and an ability to move an agenda forward. If not, if they lose either one of these two Senate seats that are up for grabs in Georgia, then they will not have control of the Senate, and it will be much a much different road for Joe Biden. Here's Reggie Cicchini with the background of what's going on in Georgia. Democrats flipped Georgia in November for the first time in nearly three decades, and if they're able to pull off a double defeat in the Senate runoffs, President-elect Biden will have an easier time passing his legislative agenda. A Democratic win would provide an even 50-50 split in the chamber, with Vice President-elect Harris casting tie-breaking votes. President Trump was in the state on Monday night airing a mix of greatest hits, grievances, and support for the Republican candidates, but his recent call with state officials could hold some Republicans back from casting a ballot. 
Early turnouts show that more than 40% of eligible voters in the state cast a ballot and that Democrats held a bigger share than in November. Reg H. Kinney, Global News, Washington. On the line is Wayne Petruzzi, who is a professor at uh, Ryerson, to help me uh, sort through what's happening in Georgia and also what's happening tomorrow with the certification of the vote of the Electoral College votes. Welcome to the program, Wayne. Let's begin with Georgia and what really is at stake here for Joe Biden. Well, certainly, uh, as, as your introduction indicated, uh, without gain, uh, winning these two seats, uh Mitch McConnell will remain the majority leader of the Senate, and his willingness to use procedures to block any and everything will haunt the Biden administration going forward. Is it is there any way that with just such a narrow, like let's just game it out and let's say the Democrats take one of two, it just doesn't matter one way or whether it's it's either they have to have both. It's not close. It's not horseshoes here. It's they have to take it both, both of them, to have any hope of being able to get uh, an agenda easily through Congress. It, it would certainly be really difficult. I, I suppose at the outset uh, you might say, well, listen, 5149 is not bad. And you could count on the Lisa Murkowski, the Republican senator from, from Alaska, who has indicated her displeasure with, with Mr. Trump on, on a number of occasions. And uh, Susan Collins from Maine, who has as well indicated her displeasure now that she's narrowly uh, escaped defeat in, in, the, in, in the elections in November. So, you know, you have a couple of floaters and, and you could probably throw Mitt Romney into that group as well. But that would be very selective. It would it'd be very hard to to game out in any you know, serious way going forward for any length of time. And and uh, but that's the other possibility. Yes, you could eke out some votes by getting the the small handful of of Republican senators who have currently demonstrated that they've had enough of this character. Trump was in Georgia last night, as we heard from that report from Reggie Cicchini, and sort of disparaging the Republican candidates themselves. Um, and, and the conventional wisdom here is that Trump wants to demonstrate to the Republican Party that without his endorsement, without his name on the ballot, that Republican voters don't show up, they can't win, and so that therefore the president himself may actually be hoping that the Democrats do win both of these seats. Um, I guess his ego is large enough to sustain that idea. But I think, for the most part, his the people around him are indicating that, listen, we're a lot better off if we keep control of the Senate. You can then wield influence through the through the Senate and, and uh, maintain your profile uh, if he has any intentions of uh, seeking, you know, the nomination again in 2024. Tell me what's happening with... Uh the certification of the vote, what role Mike Pence might play in it? And there's been some developments this morning. It sort of seems that the president looks like he's beginning to even turn on his vice president now. Well, you know, it's reflected, uh, it's a function of the fact that he knows so little about how his own system of government works. Uh, Mr. P- uh, Pence's role is ceremonial in this process, and Mr. Trump thinks it's substantive in, 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 in how it works. And, you know, there's nothing Mr. Pence can do that can make it substantive. It's a, it's a ceremonial role. 
Uh, Wayne, let me but, just, uh, just stop you there. Let's just back up. because I, I, I failed to, to really kind of set the table on this because I, I don't know if I really understand what this certification is. And Can you just explain that for me, what, what's happening on Wednesday? Well, in simple terms, uh, each, the, the figures, the electoral college votes from each state are presented to the presiding officer of the Senate, Mr. Pence. So, you know, uh, District of Washington, two electoral college votes, Joe Biden. And et cetera, et cetera. It moves down through each state uh, with their vote final final votes uh, presented for the for the for the Senate. So it, it's in, that's all that's happening. So it's it will end up 312 for 306. I'm sorry for for Mr. Biden by the end of the roll call. So that's all you're doing. You are simply receiving the votes as determined by the states. Congress doesn't determine the votes. They simply receive the results. And so that's what's happening. Now, apparently, there are a number of Republican senators and a large number of of House members on the Republican side who are going to challenge these votes as they're received. And um, that's why it'll be a a kind of surreal uh, event. They can't change it. They're allowed a certain amount of time to debate. I think it's one or two hours uh, for debate purposes. Then there'll be a vote, and the Democrats, who are majority in the House, will vote to accept it. And the the Senate will vote, and a majority of them will vote to accept the results. They can't change them. Only states. States are in charge of the voting process in the United States. It's a decentralized system. And so that's all that they can do is is make a big noise. Now, I think what it indicates, though, and and what it speaks to is really the United States is now more like some Central Asian republic, like Uzbekistan, than it is the United States. It's it's a democracy has been, I think, crippled in the United States uh, in, in the current situation that we're in there the norms that have have governed political behavior in the country have been shattered uh you have presidents who quite willingly engages in in activities that are illegal and without any kind of consequence uh you know it's it's uh, it's it's hard we would call the united states today a failing democracy and it has all the all the manifestations of failing democracies that we find typically in the developing world or in parts of Central Asia. <laughs> that, that's a grim outlook, and I'm, I'm out of, almost out of time. But I, I do want to give you an opportunity to just sort of answer this question: Does do, are those norms able to be patched back together under a, a new administration, or is it broken beyond repair? It's not like flipping a switch. Mr. Biden just can't come in and everything goes back. Flips, uh, you know, kind of sw- uh, fires back. That's not happening. It is, it is, I think, crippled. I'm not sure if it can be fixed because the there's an element in the Republican Party that really is co- going to continue to go down this road. So I, I'm not confident. Uh, I, I'm typically uh, positive, optimistic about the American character, but not not now. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate you coming on the program today. Great to have you on. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you.
This is Wayne Petrosi, who is a professor at Ryerson University. Interesting what is happening south of the border. We'll keep our eye on what's going on down there as those results come in later today. Keep it with Global News Radio. That is the sound parents are making right across the province today as they're trying to adjust in day two of virtual learning, especially for so many of us parents who actually have our kids in class, in-person learning prior to this. This is a new reality as we try and get going, and I can tell you right now that Kojiko is reporting Internet outages across the province, and that has meant no remote learning or no work from home for that matter for many people is they just the internet has just completely gone down and that's a struggle because you know you the kids are home perhaps you have a job you got something you know and the kids are freaking out and we're going to actually talk about this in this segment with Shiba Siddiqui who is my producer has four kids but she lives in an area with Kojiko so no learning for her kids today meanwhile those of us who live in other areas that actually might have internet, we're still struggling. We're still trying to make it work. And one of those parents trying to make it work is Global Toronto reporter Karen Lieberman, who joins me on the line. Hi, Karen. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, let, let's start with this. Uh, t- tell me about uh, your family, your household, and how it's been going so far. Uh, hasn't been easy. <laughs> probably a couple of expletives I, sh- I could use. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many parents are using them today and, and were yesterday. Uh, a little bit more under control today. My kids are seven and four. So my seven-year-old's in grade two, and she's pretty much able to kind of, you know, man it herself, like figure it out. And she, But she does keep coming to me to ask questions. But I mean, my four-year-old, I mean, really, like he's in JK. His teachers are amazing. The teachers are phenomenal and they're doing, you know, my kids' teachers are doing the best that they can. Yesterday was a bit of a mess. The Wi-Fi out of the school building wasn't working, which is where the teacher was. Then she went to her home. It still wasn't really great. Today she switched from Google Classroom to Zoom. Certainly it's a bit, it's a stronger signal and it's, it's been good. But, you know, again, he's four. So, you know, he's, he, he's so excited to see his friends. And literally five minutes later, he's either asking for a snack or telling me he's bored. So, you know, and let's, let's remember, I have a deadline. So I'm trying to work too. Brian, my husband's on conference calls. So at one point I'm like, okay, you need to hang up and take over, which he did. Um, you know, so like every other household in Ontario with working parents and children, you know, doing virtual learning, we're, we're juggling. It's a, it's a juggling act nonstop. And by three thirty, like I want to get into bed and close my eyes. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's really it's it's a, such a challenge. And and mm-hmm. you know, for for me, my 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 situation is a little different. It, it it falls on my wife and it falls on the kids' moms uh, who. You know, my kids are in grade 7 and in grade 10, and I'll tell you, my experience is, is that on day 1, uh, the grade 7, first of all, the login didn't start till 12.30, and then you, so basically he started, he basically spent his morning on the PS4, which is, that's very educational, blowing stuff up. <laughs> and then he gets onto the thing, and the teacher talks for f- like 40-odd minutes, and then says, go to the IT teacher's Zoom link, and you can take the IT class. Well, 
that Zoom link does not work. Does not open. Nothing happens. Basically, all the kids, like the entire class is just kind of like, well, where you go. Do your own thing. And then this one just blew me away. And this related to me by my son. He said, when when she finally did come back, after basically they just had nothing for 45 minutes, she finally does come back. The teacher actually suggests to the kids, hey, who would be interested in all getting together and possibly going for a walk? What? Oh, boy. That's a problem. Yeah. To which yeah. my son said, uh, isn't that kind of defeating the purpose? Oh, my goodness. And she kind of moved on from that. But, I mean, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't hear it myself. But it, it mm-hmm. just it just seemed like, and this is, like like you say, these are the experiences being had by parents right across the province right now. And I think everybody is just really hoping and praying that the kids do actually get to go back to in-class learning on Monday. It's very difficult. And, you know, as, as, as experts, you know, I mean, I spoke with an expert yesterday and she was in my story last night. And it, she said, you know, yes, there are teachers that are parents, 100 percent. By the way, I give them a ton of credit. I don't know how they're managing. Probably not well either. But, you know, parents, we're not trained to be teachers for our children. We're just parents. We're just trying to make it work. And so I'm not you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it all. I can't do it all. And I think that's really what it boils down to. So we have to do the best we can, but it is very challenging. It is very frustrating. And it's also worrisome because, you know, you do wonder, like, you know, we've heard that the kids are going back next week, at least elementary school students, but you have to wonder, you know, is this really going to happen? And or are we going to, you know, have a bombshell dropped on us, you know, on by Friday afternoon, who knows? Yeah, and there are some medical experts that say the kids should not go back to school. You will hear them in my story tonight, Alan, and that's why I, and you know what, I'll be honest with you, it's given me pause too, even though I'm so, uh, you know, in favor of sending my kids back next week, I have two doctors who are on my in my story tonight on Global News at 530, and they both say this is not a lockdown until our schools are closed indefinitely. So I'm actually very excited to share this story tonight because even for me, it gave me pause and it made me think of things differently. And so I think it's a very important story to tell. Now, now did those doctors reference what's happened in the UK? Because in the UK, they have now completely shut schools as that new uh, variant continues to spread. They didn't, but both say that what we're experiencing right now, you know, here, here's an interesting point. You know, we talk about how we, we don't see as many cases in children, but one of the doctors who's in my story tonight, who's an emergency room physician, his point is, is that we don't really know because the children could all be walking around with it and aren't being tested because they're either asymptomatic or, you know, like they don't have a runny nose, they don't have this, they don't have that. So we don't actually know the true numbers among children. And the issue is in so many multi-generational homes, as there are many in you know across Ontario and various parts of the of various cities children may have it and you know inadvertently be passing it along to grown-ups in the house and that's why so many grown-ups are showing up in ERs and ICUs with bad cases of COVID so it really does make you think that's that's all I'm saying yeah well we certainly know that if we look at the numbers there are a large number of cases that are just unexplained we just mm-hmm. we're at that point it's not like where you can say this person got it here this person got it there we just we don't have those answers and that obviously is going to give us pause that perhaps maybe schools are a source of transmission more so than we've previously known karen it's very possible and so it's certainly you know for me all day yesterday thinking oh my god i need to send the kids back and i still trust me want to send the kids back it, it just made me, you know, take a bit of a breath and, and think a little bit, you know, like, oh, gosh, like maybe they are the spreaders that, you know, that were we were told they were in the very beginning when schools were shut down last spring. Maybe they are. We don't know it, you know. 
So, and, and I want to end to this like everybody else. Like, I'm tired of it. I want to see my parents. I want to see my grandmother. So, I don't know. It's, it's a big question mark for me. Uh, but having said that, yes, it is incredibly challenging having the kids home and, and juggling it all. It's, it's impossible. It's not, it's not feasible. No, it, it's not. And the, the weight is on families right across this province. And Karen, looking forward to your story tonight on Global News at 530. Always great talking to you. Please take care. Thank you for having me. That is Karen Lieberman, who's a Global News reporter. And her story you can see tonight on Global News at 530 as we talk more about what's happening with virtual learning and the experience across the province. Uh, Chuba Siddiqui just reporting that the Internet is back somewhat in her region. Again, she's uh, one of the uh, many, many people in the province who is a Kojiko, uh, in a Kojiko area, and Kojiko has had an internet uh, outage. It is slowly coming back, but it's still still spotty. So, I mean, and that's not great for the kids, right? Obviously, you, know, you can't have the kids on Zoom or whatever, if, you know, if it's a lag, if, if, you know, if you can't open the thing and, you know, as a parent, you're in there every couple of minutes and you can't do your own thing. It's, it's tough. It's a, it's a real juggle. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show, weekdays starting at noon.